Well, as we do come to God's Word this morning, uh, we have one passage that we want to read together that I'll be preaching from. It's Hebrews 2, verse 5 to 3, verse 6. Uh, And these verses really do simply celebrate the great redemptive work that Christ has done. Uh, And so that's why we want to read these verses together this morning. And again, pray that through these verses, God would open each of our hearts to more greatly receive this amazing work that Christ has done on our behalf. Uh, And so in just a moment, I'll have uh, Sam come up first. He'll read for us verses 5 through 9 of Hebrews chapter 2. Then Shauna will come and read for us verses 10 to 18 of chapter 2. And then finally, Kathy will read for us verses 1 to 6 of chapter 3. And again, just here in these verses, the glorious work that Jesus Christ himself has done. Uh, And then I will come up and proclaim this word to us. Or the Son of Man, that you are concerned about him. You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But we do see him who made who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. Hebrews uh, 2, 13 through 18. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted... He is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 3, 1-6 Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses, also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of a house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as as a servant, for testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope 
firm until the end. Now, I was very humbled this week in coming before this passage because I acknowledge that there's much more in here than my own small brain can comprehend. And so by no means am I going to be able to explain every last aspect of this passage, but I do want to get at two big truths, just two big truths that I see proclaimed in this passage here. The first big truth that I want to get at is that Jesus himself is the champion of our salvation. Jesus himself is the champion of our salvation. And the second big point that I want to make is that we are made like Jesus in every way. We are made like Jesus in every way. So that's where this message is going this morning. That's what I want to look at from these verses here, that Jesus is the great champion of our salvation and that we are made like him in every way. Now, the way that the author of Hebrews goes about making this point might strike us as a little bit unusual. I'm sure even as these verses were being read, the language didn't sound exactly like language that you or I would use today if we were speaking to a friend, right? It's a little bit intricate. It's a little bit confusing. There's a lot of spiritual language in here. But I think the reason why this language sounds different is because God, through the author of Hebrews, is trying to open our minds. He's trying to elevate our minds to understand something that is much higher, that is much greater than just the earth around us that we see day to day, right? When we talk about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when we talk about God the Father, we are talking about realities that are much more amazing, much more wonderful than mere physical realities and things that are merely science, things that we can merely hold with our hands or or see with our eyes. No, we were talking about spiritual truths that existed from before the foundation of the world, spiritual truths that indeed gave rise to the world itself. And the author of Hebrews, even in the passage we read, talks about these things. And so my hope is that even as we come to these words, come to these words that might be a little bit confusing to us on the surface, we could understand why these words maybe are a bit confusing to us, why they're a bit hard to understand, because they're talking about things that are just so much more amazing, so much more wonderful than the things that we just see on a day-to-day basis. And so my prayer is that the Lord would give us all hearts to grasp some of these amazing truths that are given. Now, the way that the author of Hebrews comes about making these points that I want to make, that Jesus is the champion of our salvation and that we are made like him in every way, is he's trying to show how wonderful and amazing Jesus is. Now, in the first century, just as in our own time, it's very easy for people to think very low thoughts about who Jesus Christ was. Jesus Christ was a man who walked the earth, and as we celebrated just on Good Friday, and indeed as we remember this morning and as we remember every Sunday morning, he was crucified as a criminal upon a cross. And because Jesus walked the earth like a man and because he was crucified like a man, it's very easy and natural for many people to think, oh, well, Jesus must have only been a man because he was just like us. And so as this author of Hebrews is writing to these people, he's writing them this letter, he's trying to tell them like, no, I know you think that Jesus was just a man like us, but he wasn't. He was much greater than us. He was much more wonderful than us. Even though he was a man, yes, he was fully a man just like you or me, he was actually one with God himself. And that's why he starts where he starts in our passage in Hebrews chapter 2, again starting in verse 5, 
when he says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. So it wasn't to angels. The author of Hebrews acknowledges that angels exist, and he acknowledges that angels, all these wonderful and mysterious spiritual beings, But in Hebrews chapter 1, he's just finished making the point that Jesus is actually better than the angels. He's higher than the angels. And so now he comes here to try and talk about another way that Jesus is actually better than the angels, higher than the angels. So it wasn't to angels that God subjected the world to come. And then verse 6, it has been testified somewhere. What is man that you were mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And then he goes on, still talking about that passage from Psalms that he just quoted in verses 6 to 8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So first, notice how the author of Hebrews here is proclaiming that Jesus is even greater than the angels, that Jesus is indeed the king of the whole earth. It says that everything is subject to him, and the author of Hebrews acknowledges that we can't see that totally clearly right now, right? It doesn't always look like Jesus is the reigning king of the earth because we see so many terrible things happening. We see wars happening, injustice happening everywhere. And yet the author of Hebrews is saying, despite all the terrible things that are happening, it's actually true that everything has been made subject to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ is truly the king of the whole earth. That makes him above the angels. So even though he was a mere man, Even though he walked the earth just like you and me, he actually reigns. He actually has all power in heaven and on earth, the gospel of Matthew says. And so Jesus has this great and high status. He was crowned with glory and honor. Everything is subject to him. But notice where the author of Hebrews went in verse 9. Even though he reigns over all things, even though he has all authority, he was actually crowned with that authority. He was given that authority because of the suffering of death, verse 9 says, because of the suffering of death. And why did he suffer that death? So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In other words, we are prone to look at the cross of Jesus Christ. We're prone to look at the suffering of Jesus Christ, how he was crucified as a criminal. And we are prone to look at that and think, no, that could not be God. That could not be divine. That is too ugly. That is too humiliating. And yet... It was actually through that suffering of death that Jesus Christ tasted death for everyone. 
In other words, it is through the shameful death that he bore all of our shame and he got this crown that makes him king forever and ever. The author of Hebrews goes on in verse 10 to flesh this out some more. He says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus was made perfect. He was given this high position through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. And we'll come back to verses 12 and 13 a little bit later, but jump down to verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So why was Jesus human in the first place? So that he could share in our flesh and blood, so that he could become like us. Partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it was not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Notice just all the ways that the author of Hebrews there says that Jesus was made like us, that Jesus identified with us so that he could be the champion of our salvation. He was made like us because he shared in our flesh and blood, right? When Jesus was born in Bethlehem at Christmas, right? We all know that story. Jesus did not come into existence in Bethlehem at Christmas. No, Jesus existed from eternity past. He was one with God the Father. He merely took human form at Christmas. He put on flesh and blood. He took on humanity so that he could represent us so that he could do something for us. And not only did he put on this humanity, he suffered death itself. He suffered the fate that every single human being in all of human history has had to suffer. He suffered that fate not because he had to. Jesus was a mortal God, eternal God. He did not have to die. He died out of choice, out of willingness, out of saying, I want to identify myself with you. And so he was made to die so that he could take our place, so that he could represent us. Not only did he become man, not only did he die, but he also was tempted just as we are tempted. That's what verse 18 says. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He experienced all the beautiful and dazzling earthly things that so often lead us to do wicked things. He saw all of those things, and yet he did not give in even one time to temptation. He was pure and spotless throughout his entire life. He always served God in everything he did, even when temptation was the strongest. 
And we know that temptation was the very strongest for Jesus right before that moment of death. The Gospels describe him in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying out to God saying, Lord, if it's possible for me not to die, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, would you please make it so that I don't have to suffer and die? And yet, even in saying that, he said, but not my will, but yours be done. He submitted himself to the Father, even in the greatest of all temptations, the temptation to preserve his own life, to not suffer torture and death. And so, because he himself was tempted just like we are, he is able to help us when we are tempted. And so we see that in all these ways, Jesus has become the champion of our salvation. He has defeated death itself. He has defeated every temptation. He has redeemed flesh and blood itself so that flesh and blood is no longer just a wicked thing destined to failure but so that flesh and blood itself through the body of Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ becoming flesh and blood, might now become holy to God. And so in all these ways, Jesus made the champion of our salvation. And yet, if Jesus had merely done these things as some great historical figure, as some great example to us, these things would ultimately be of no benefit to us. Essentially, he would just be a great moral example, right? Essentially, he would just be one who says, look, I overcame every temptation. Now, you just look at me and can't you overcome every temptation? Or he would be one who said, look, I defeated death. Now, look, if you'll just be like me, you yourself can defeat death. It would basically be a big self-help program, right? Like Jesus saying, I'm the great champion and you just have to follow in my footsteps. You can be a great champion too. But the beautiful thing is that's not at all what Jesus did. Jesus, in becoming our champion in every way and becoming like us in every way, now invites us to become like him in every way. Now welcomes us in, not simply as people who can now follow his great example, but as people who are somehow mysteriously joined to him, joined to him so that everything he did becomes something that we ourselves have already done, even though we didn't do it, (laughs) even though we couldn't do it. Scripture says that it is by faith, by faith that we are joined to Jesus in this way. Well, what does faith mean? It means belief. It means trust. It means we look to Jesus and and we don't wonder and think, well, Jesus, I'm not sure that you really did that. You need to prove it to me somehow. No, faith is when you look to Jesus and your heart just kind of immediately rejoices because you're like, yes, Jesus, I believe you really did that. And when our hearts rejoice in that way over these things Jesus has done, that means we have faith in Jesus Christ. And when we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are made like him in every way. This defeat of death that Jesus won becomes our own defeat of death. This victory over all temptation that Jesus achieved, it becomes our victory over temptation. Again, not by our own works, not by our own striving, not by following Jesus as some kind of example, but by experiencing his very life, 
in us. It's like his blood flows through our veins. It's like his flesh is our flesh. In fact, just after the preaching this morning, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper where we claim to eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood. And the reason why we do that is to symbolize in in some amazing way that Jesus' blood is now our blood. His flesh is our flesh. That it's not our strength. It's not our effort that brings us to God. It's the champion, Jesus Christ, who brings us to God. But we see this spelled out for us as well in Hebrews chapter 2. Again, going back to verse 6, when the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 8, he says, It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, if you were to turn back in your Bible to Psalm 8 and you were to see what these words originally mean, the amazing thing about these words is that these words originally refer to human beings. So even though the author of Hebrews here is applying them to Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the one who truly has everything in subjection under his feet, the one who is truly crowned with glory and honor, the fact is that Scripture originally envisions this calling— This calling to have glory and honor, this calling to have everything in subjection under our feet, this calling to be a little lower than the angels, this is for humanity. This is for human beings. This is not just one person, Jesus Christ, who somehow attains this high status. No, if you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, 3, where we read about the creation of mankind itself, God says before he makes man, he says, let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness. God, when he creates man, saying that I am creating man to be an image of me, to be an image of almighty God. Now, beloved, if that isn't crowned with glory and honor, I don't know what is. We are made in God's image. And then because we are made in God's image, just a little while after that in Genesis 3, God says to mankind, to humanity, he says, I give you dominion over the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea and the beasts of the earth. He gives us dominion. He puts all things in subjection under our feet. See, I think so much of the frustration we have in modern life is that we think that humanity has such small capacities. And even when we think of religion, when we think of following God, we think it's basically about morality. We think it's basically about becoming a little bit better person, about doing the right things. Or if we want to not live a bad life, we think it's about not doing the wrong things. I imagine it kind of like a football game where everything is just played between the 40-yard lines, right? We think that a really bad person is back on this 40-yard line and a really good person is up on this 40-yard line. And so as a result, all of life can seem a little bit meaningless, right? Because nobody wins a football game by getting to the 40-yard line. And if all I have to gain by trying really hard to be a good person is to get up to the 40-yard line, well, why not just be a bad person and just enjoy all the pleasures that life has to offer? You see, our our window of possibilities is so small. We don't think that man, mankind, humanity, we don't think that we are as majestic as what Scripture says we are. We don't think we have the possibilities that Scripture says we have. Again, when the author of Hebrews here quotes Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? 
You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything under his feet. This is the calling of humanity. This is what God envisions for us. And this is why Christ came. Christ came so that through him, we might recover this incredible destiny, this incredible trajectory that God initially set humanity upon. So that we wouldn't just aim for the 40-yard line. We wouldn't just aim to live a moral life, you know, to be a good person or something like that. No, we would aim to be kings and queens. We would aim to be royalty in the house of our God. Now, the author of Hebrews shows us this very clearly in this passage. Starting in verse 11 in particular. So if you go down to verse 11. Excuse me. It says, for he who sanctifies, that's God, and those who are sanctified, that's us, all have one source. So notice the, the closeness that it talks about there. We have one source. We have a source in God. That is why he, that is Jesus, that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. That's us. That's the status that he wants to give us. Not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus doesn't just call us subjects. Jesus doesn't just call us followers. Jesus doesn't just call us people who are trying to impress him or trying to do what he says. Now Jesus calls us brothers. He is not ashamed to call us brothers. And beloved, if you are a brother of the king, what does that make you? That makes you royalty too, right? It's not like the brother of the king has some lesser status. Yes, Jesus is the firstborn. He will get the throne all of himself, but he shares that authority. He gives that authority to us so that we ourselves one day are destined to actually be higher than the angels themselves. Hebrews goes on to say in verse 12, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. And so here he's quoting the words of Jesus from the Old Testament. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Jesus is part of the congregation with us, singing praise to God. We are identified with him. We are made like him. And again, I will put my trust in him. And behold, I and the children God has given me. We are children of like nature with Jesus. Not just subjects, not just slaves, but brothers, children. And then notice again as we go through verses 14 to 17 again. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So especially verse 17, he had to be made like us in every respect. 
Why was Jesus made like us in every respect? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Well, what's the basic job description of a high priest? What does a priest do? A priest brings people into the presence of God. A priest brings people into the presence of God. So Jesus became like us so that he could represent us, so that he could bring us into the presence of God himself. And then it says to make propitiation for the sins of the people. What is propitiation? It's simply acknowledging the fact that we all have fallen short of God's standards. We all have sinned grievously against God, and that's why we cannot come into God's presence. That's why we need a priest to go and to bring us to God. And so that is who Jesus is. Jesus becomes like us. He becomes one of us, one of us, going into the presence of God, making propitiation, giving a sacrifice, the sacrifice of his own blood, sacrificing his own blood so that now we are able to go into the presence of God just as Jesus went into God's presence before us. And so what that means This blows my mind when I think about it. What that means is that just as Jesus is in the presence of God, and who is Jesus? Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Jesus is God himself, one with God the Father, right? We as Christians believe God is Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three beings, one in nature, distinct in persons. All three are God. There's one God. There's three persons, right? So Jesus is in the presence of God the Father as God. Jesus knows the joy and the love of God the Father, complete union with God the Father from all eternity past. In fact, we see that a little bit when it comes to Jesus' baptism, right? God the Father speaks down from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's what God the Father thinks about God the Son. And now, Jesus, being the high priest, taking on our flesh and blood to represent us, goes into the presence of God the Father to win our forgiveness, to win our purchase, so that we can now come into the presence of God the Father and we ourselves can hear, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That is what we hear when we as humans come into the presence of God the Father through Jesus the Son. And we hear that, again, not because we are good people. We are wicked people, all of us. We have offended God in innumerable ways. We have no right to come into God's presence and hear God say, this is my beloved Son. And yet, through Jesus Christ, he has made a way by taking on our nature, by becoming a man himself, and by going into the presence of God as a high priest to make propitiation for us, to make a sacrifice, to pay the price that our sins deserved, so that now we can come into the presence of God and experience the glory of being known by eternal God. And the end result of that is that if we come to know God in this way, if we kind of like put on the skin of Jesus Christ and and come into the presence of God, then guess what? We don't have to taste death ever again. 
We don't have to fall to temptation ever again. We can know God forever and ever. Because what Jesus did when he put on our flesh and blood is he did die a shameful death upon the cross. But after he died, he did not stay dead. Amen? Amen. He rose again to newness of life. He had resurrection life so that he lives forever and ever and ever. And now that we are clothed in Jesus Christ, in his very nature, it means that we ourselves can live forever and ever and ever by the power of God within us. It means that we ourselves don't have to fall to temptation ever again by the power of God within us. See, beloved, no longer are we just shooting for that 40-yard line as if that's the best that humans can do. No, we are going for the end zone. We are going for a touchdown. We are going to become one with God the Father. The ultimate thing that we were made for, the thing that we were created for, we were shaped in God's image in the first place so that we could bear this image, so that we could become like God in the clothing of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the great champion of our salvation. And we have been made like Jesus in every way as we trust in him. And so my call to you this morning is the same call that the author of Hebrews gives after considering all these great realities of Hebrews 2, 6 to 18. Look at Hebrews 3, verse 1. It says, therefore, holy brothers. Now notice that, that, just pause on that phrase for a moment itself. Therefore, holy brothers. Who are you? Holy. God, God alone is holy. You have been made holy through Jesus Christ, and you are Jesus Christ's brothers. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, a heavenly calling, not just an earthly one, not just trying to be a better person, but a heavenly calling, What do we do? Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. That is what I encourage all of you to do with your whole lives. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus because he is the great champion of our faith, but also consider Jesus because it is precisely in Jesus where we ourselves see what we were made for, where we ourselves see our full potential as human beings created in the image of God. If you look anywhere else, your sights will be set too low. If you look anywhere else, you will be bored. If you look anywhere else, you will experience shame. If you look anywhere else, you will wallow in guilt and shame and sorrow. But if you look to Jesus, if you consider Jesus, not only do you see the amazing things that you were created for, the amazing things that you were called to, you also get the power. You also get the the way, the avenue by which you may attain that. And again, it's not at all through your own efforts. It is through being found in him. It is through looking to him continually by faith. As you look to Jesus, as you're given a heart of faith by God the Father, God's Spirit comes to live in you. 
And you are able to conquer death itself. Unless Jesus returns, all of us in this room will die someday. That is a sad fact of life. And yet the reality is that those who hope in Jesus will be raised up from the grave. Those who hope in Jesus will be raised up from the grave to reign at Jesus' right hand forever and ever. 1 Corinthians even says that we are going to judge angels. (laughs) This is the lofty calling that we have as human beings in the image of Jesus Christ, in the clothing of Jesus Christ. And yes, we will still fall to temptation while we live here on the earth below, but we never have to fall to temptation as we look to Jesus Christ and as we know the power of God that flows to us through Jesus Christ. And so, again, beloved, look to Jesus Christ. You will never be bored again. You will never be sorry. You will never regret that you looked to Jesus Christ and you didn't look somewhere else. The more we look to Jesus Christ, the more hope we have, the more potential we have, the more we know the fullness of who God wants us to be. And so would we strive together As the family of God, this is why God's given us the church, so that we can encourage one another always, look to Jesus Christ, look to Jesus Christ. As a family of God, let us encourage one another to look to Jesus Christ always. And as we look to Jesus Christ, may we know the victory that we have in him. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you did send your son to look just like us, to have the very nature that we have so that he could redeem our nature, so that he could redeem who we are and bring us to you. God, I pray that you will have mercy on us for how often we do set our sights so much lower, for how often We wallow in the mud when you offer us a vacation at the beach. Lord, help us to continually look to Jesus, to continually consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Help us, Lord, not to waver from thinking great thoughts of him and strengthen us in every way by the strength that he himself supplies. Lord, would you now receive our prayers of confession? Would you now receive our prayers of petition on our behalf, on behalf of this world around us, as we do consider this great plan that you have accomplished through Jesus Christ?